and welcome to another episode of Fully Scored. Today we're going to be continuing our analysis of Corpus Christi. But before we do that, I've got a very exciting guest to welcome to the podcast. An absolute legend and veteran of Salvation Army music. That is, of course, Don Jenkins. Welcome. Thank you. Today's episode we're recording in the Carrington Hotel down in Bournemouth, where the Territorial Youth Band, or TYB for short, is taking place. I was here seven years ago, and it certainly has uh, not changed since then. Uh, brings back many memories being here, and I'd argue some of the best weeks of my life were spent here. It certainly sparked my desire to become a musician, and a love for Salvation Army music making. But more importantly, was the start of my journey to become a Christian musician. I've also made many lifelong friends. So leading on from that, Don, um, could you give us a brief overview of what you've been doing so far here this week at TYB? My job really here is, is just to encourage the kids and perhaps in another aspect to help the mums and dads feel that the kids are in a very safe environment and, and they're going to have a great time here with some really good music making, with some very challenging music, really. So in a word, I'm, I'm just here to encourage the staff and the, and the, and the pupils, really. That's, that's my job, Great stuff. in a way. So you've been attending TYB now for many, many years. Do you know how many years you have been here? Yes, I do. Fantastic, uh, so I'm I don't. I'm proud of that. <laughs> I've done 19. 19. Um, yeah, I came home from Holland in May 2000. Mm. And at the end of that, or beginning of the next year, Stephen said, would you come down and, and, and look after the trombones Excellent. for him? which um, I reluctantly agreed to, as you can imagine. Mm. Uh, yeah, you bet. <laughs> um, uh, and, um, and then I did 10 years doing that, looking after the trombones. And then I had a... And I can remember it so well. Stephen phoned me up about October time, November time, and said, this is a phone call I've ne- I don't want to make, but I feel I have to. And I knew what was coming, and he said, I'd like you to stop looking after the trombones. That's not to say I want you to stop from coming, because I do want you to come, but I don't want you anymore to look after the trombones because I've got Jonathan Evans and um, the young boy from Norwich, Ma- James. James, or- James, and they're showing leadership potential. Mm. And so I want to give them the responsibility to develop their leadership skills. And, and who's going to object to that as a guy that's done a great deal already? Yeah, encourage them to do that. Encourage them. So from then on, I've been um, what I think is loosely called an alumni. And I'm rather proud of that title. <laughs> Yes, yeah, and I can't spell it, but it's a good... It's a good. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, and as I said in my introduction, TYB means a lot to me over the years. It's yeah. been so, so important. But what does this week mean to you? It means a great deal. Um, I'm not looking forward to the day when I can't come. Uh, and when you get to my age... You don't know when that's going to crick off. And what do you think the future holds for TYB? I'm not going to get you to do a seance or anything. <laughs> not, no. But what do you think? 
where, where do you think the importance of TYB lies? Do you think it is something that's going to keep going for the foreseeable future? I pray that it does. Um, I came down from London with Stephen, and he said it with a certain amount of pride, and justifiable pride, that this is, this is the biggest students we've had in 15 years. Mm. Right? 25 brand new students booked in on Monday. In other words, the youngsters want to come. They want, they want this banding. They want this friendship. They want this fellowship. You know, fantastic. Yeah, fantastic. it is, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Now, that's a very leading question. I, I think there is a future for TYB as well, but I just wouldn't see your ideas there. Um, so enough about TYB <laughs> for okay. now. Um, On to your life. Yeah. Have you always been part of the Salvation Army? Yes, my mum and dad came to the Salvation Army, I think in quite unique ways. So, if you like, I was born Sally Ann. Excellent. And um, what was your inspiration to take up the trombone? Did you start learning trombone? No, or did no, you start... no, they gave me a cornet when I was nine. Should have stuck there. It would have been in about 1943, 44, mm. when I was nine, going on ten. And Bowmaster Tucker started to teach us how to play. This is marvellous. Three of us got sent home from junior band practice. Well, we arrived at junior band practice late, so we were sent home. <laughs> now, the fact that we were late, because the bus was late. <laughs> you know, right? I mean, they were so dictatorial in those days, you wouldn't listen to our, you know, master, the, the bus was late. I don't care, you're late, you go home. But it was a, it was a sign of the kind of discipline you were mm-hmm. expected to conform to in those days. But I... The nice story is, is that my mum used to get my brother John and I ready for Sunday school on a Sunday in our best clothes, on our suit. We never wore it the rest of the week, all right? And then she would put us in the front room of our house. And you never went in the front room because it was always locked. Unless auntie and uncle or grandma and granddad came, you were never allowed in there. But mother used to put us in there on a Sunday dinner time while well, she went and got ready in her army uniform ready to take us to Sunday school and switched the wireless on and on claimed Glenn Miller Fantastic. end of story Great. I wanted to play a trombone like Glenn Miller um, and who would you say was your biggest influence um, in all the years since then as being a Salvationist musician that's a difficult one Brindley Boone gave me some fantastic invitations to play in some very special places and special occasions um, so I've got a lot to thank him for RSA is another one in my early days when I was sort of in the senior band and and because of certain things that happened in the core I ended up as principal trombone and then the new bandmaster Laurie Hinchley encouraged me to take up some solos and i I did the Brindley Boom one for a long time. And then I was allowed to play the euphonium and trombone solo, the Eternal Quest. And that's where I became under the influence of RSA because um, my bandmaster at that time decided to do some composer festivals, which in those days were quite common, really. Um, And so Arbor Jakeway came down, Ernest Rance came down. I can't remember Dean Goffin coming, but I'm sure he would have done it in those days. But the other one that was asked to do it was, was Ray Stemmen Allen. And um, 
Ray was then at the time living in Cheltenham. So Laurie wrote him a letter and gave him a list of the pieces. And on the, on the list was the Eternal Quest. And when that list came back, the Eternal Quest was crossed off. Right. Now, in those days, I was an obnoxious, pompous, conceited <laughs> character. I mean, I'm a lovely, very old man now. <laughs> and if you believe that, you'll believe anything. <laughs> Um, and I was very cross. So I said to my master, why has he crossed it off? I said, I said, I don't know. I don't know why he's crossed it off. I said, well, you know, it's not right. You know, everything else is there. He said, here's a telephone number. Phone him up. So I phoned him up and he said, the reason is I don't know how you play it. I know how I want it played. Hmm. So if I'm coming down and conducting an accompaniment and I don't know how you play it, it's not really a safe thing to do. Sensible. Yeah. So I said, can I come and play it for you and then see how we go on that one? He said, yeah, of course, come on. So we arranged a night to go up. I drove up to Cheltenham. Joy opened the door and welcomed me. I had a cup of tea with Joy. Ray was then putting the two girls to bed. So I had to wait for him to come down. He came down. We greeted each other. He sat at the piano, got the score out, and we went down the score with him playing the accompaniment on the piano. And when it was finished, he said, I like the way you play it. So I said, oh, thanks. And then we began to talk about the piece mm. and what he was trying to do within the piece. And that was really, it was really quite an occasion. Um, the piece is about man seeking truth. I think, in honesty, it's raised a life story in, in music. And therefore, during the piece, the trombone is almost swamped by the accompaniment because that is the world almost taking over the mindset of the man looking for truth. Um, he then comes to the position where he realises that it is God who's been waiting for him to realise that he is the truth. And so the, that's where the cadenza starts. It sounds like a fantastic exercise, but... Am I allowed to give some insight? Absolutely. Sure. Please do. Please do. At the beginning of the cadenza, the trombone starts on a pause, low B natural. And Ray said, that's a man falling to his knees in prayer. And because he wants to reach up to God in prayer, he does a double octave jump, okay? And tries to stay in prayer. But because his spiritual maturity is so weak, he falls away. And then starts to pray again from a B-flat, which is half a tone lower than he is on his knees. He then starts to pray again, but much slower. And again, another double octave. And stays there for quite some time. But in the end, he's, he's spiritually exhausted, totally exhausted. And so... The cadenza finishes with a chromatic run all the way down through those double octaves. But he ends up, and I think this is this is quite profound, he ends up on an A natural, which is a whole tone below where you are on your knees. Don's been there. Don's been there. What is so beautiful about harmony music is that he then makes the band to come in while that man is 
is in that place with the band playing at Pianissimo, I believe God answers prayer. That's inspirational. Great. You were in Amsterdam for a while yeah. and were the bandmaster of the Amsterdam staff band. Yeah. And I believe you recorded quite a number of CDs for the band. Have you got a personal favourite that you recorded with them? I only did two CDs with the staff band. One was a Christmas one and one was with Don Lusher. We did all, we invited Don Lusher to be a future soloist on it. Um, and that was a, a joy for me, you know. Um, and he was such a good friend to me when my wife died. Ruth died within 48 hours of a stroke. And, and you know, that was it. Um, and we cremated a, a Friday after or something like that. And then on that Sunday, the band was due to fly to to um, uh, Spain to celebrate Spain's 25-year as a Salvationist territory group there. Um, and Eva Burroughs was coming over to do the last weekend and, and big celebrations for the Spanish people. Um, uh, and on that, on that Monday night, on, or on Monday nights, Al- Alan Dell used to do it from 8 o'clock until 10 used to do a big band programme on BBC Two. Um, so Don was, you know, I mean, Don, not, yeah, ears rolling for that. But it, on the Monday night we came home from Spain, I was listening to that, and I was doing some ironing. Um, I was trying to iron some shirts, um, which I always wanted to make Ruth, like Ruth used to make me look pretty good, so I used to try, I was trying to iron. Tears are rolling down my cheek. Um because I was, you know, oh, you can imagine I was missing her then. And the telephone rang, bang on 10 o'clock. Alan Dell finished, 10 o'clock news came on, the phone rang. Don Lusher. And Don Lusher said, how have you been, Don? And I said, oh, I'm fine, I'm okay. He said, no, no, how have you been? And I, and naturally, I cracked up. And he said, yeah, because his wife died eight years before my wife died. So he was... Can you imagine a guy who's world famous? Put it into context, world famous guy. All right, yeah, as I was saying earlier on, he's a Sally Anna, he's a, he's a salvation boy. And he thought about me, right? Thought about me. Never mind about being world famous or anything like that. Don, Don, I got a And for over a year, at the end of every Alan Dell program, the telephone rang and it was Don Lusher asking how I was. How about that? How about that? This man, who's world famous, is such a big man, such a such a lovely Christian man, that he cared for me, you know, how I was. Mm. That's, that's some story, isn't it? Yeah, sometimes, you know, yeah. these little things can make yeah, such a big difference. Yeah, that's right, absolutely. Lives. Absolutely. Great to hear. Um, And one final question, just to to, uh, round things off for the more serious questions. You've had all these amazing musical experiences, but I don't think your day job was in music, was it? Could you just give us a quick download on what your actual day job was? I was very lucky because I was struggling to find a deposit to find a house to buy a house. And... The tuba player, bass tuba player in the band, worked for British Oxygen Company, and he came to me. He knew what I was trying to find a job which would give me, and he said, "We've got a job. 
going at British Oxygen Company. So I said, I couldn't do that, Frank. It's lifting heavy cylinders. Um, and I was a dental technician. I trained as a dental technician's apprenticeship. Um, and I'm only a little bloke anyway. <laughs> so, so he said, no, you could do it. There's a bloke down there your size, and he can do it, you can do it. There's a knack to it. So I went down, and I had the interview. Very shortly after that, um, they gave me a, a tanker to drive. Oh, wow. Okay. Liquid nitrogen. <laughs> yeah. But not one of those great big things you see with petrol on. This was 2,000 litres. Okay. I loved the job. Um, I did it for 34 years. And then I got the invite to go to Holland. And, and, and so that's how I became a, a tanker driver. Fantastic. <laughs> so, so posh, it? But, but only a mini tanker. I, it was a dinky toy. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so, some quick fire questions now. Uh, what's your favourite Salvation Army band piece? Oh, no. That's not quick fire. Is it? <laughs> this is so difficult. Sorry. I mean, the one that's got a nice story to it was um, um, Faith is a Victory. Um, most iconic Salvation Army album? Gee, cool. They're, they're not easy. So, they get easier. <laughs> the Enfield at the Edge of Time CD. I love that middle movement of Edge of Time. And I'm not saying the rest is not good, but it means that there are other CDs with other good stuff on it that, you know, but, but, mm, sorry. That's okay. No, no problem. Now, TYB are going across to the Territory Youth Choir tonight to have a silent disco, so I'd like to know what your best dance move is that you'll be showing. Um, it would definitely, without question... Be the rumba. Okay. Oh, you reckon? Do, do you want to show? <laughs> Not a chance. <laughs> Don Lusher told me this. Big band players are born with two left feet. They don't have a chance of dancing, <laughs> and yet they can play the best dance music in the world. Okay, now, next next uh, one, a bit interactive for you. I've brought some snacks here, okay, and I'd like you to taste one of these. You're not allergic to banana, are you? No. And describe in one word. What the taste makes you think of. For those listening, these are some paradise banana chips. This is a hard chip, isn't it? <laughs> One word of what that makes you think. One word, it says, mind your teeth. <laughs> Fantastic. Custard cream or bourbon? Do what? <laughs> Not dance moves. Would you, if you had a plate of biscuits, would you prefer a custard cream or a bourbon biscuit? Custard cream. Okay. Cadbury's or Galaxy chocolate? I think Cadbury's. Favourite sport? It's a toss-up between cricket and rugby, really. Okay. Most useful tube station? Useful. Hmm. Liverpool Street. Okay. Favourite city worldwide? I'm going to say New York. And can I give a reason for that? Yeah. yeah. The thing I'd like to go back to New York is, I wanted to go to Broadway. Mm. So I was walking up the avenue where I was living, and the other side of the road was a fire station, and there was a bloke polishing the radiator, okay? And he was only about my size. So I said, excuse me. And he said, yeah, what do you want, old Brit? You know? So I said, um, Broadway. Oh, not a problem. And he sort of 
caught on my arm and took me around the corner and said, look, straight up here and do this and do this and do this. And I said, oh, thanks a lot. He said, no, have a great time. You know, he was a really good, good guy. You know, a really lovely guy. Then we had 9-11. Because he would have gone to 9-11. But did he come away? Is he still there? And if he is, I'd like to give him a big hug. You know? So that's, that's, that's the reason I'd like to go back to New York. I'm, uh, yeah, my favourite city, yeah. Mm. Thank you very much. Um, what's your favourite topping on the pizza? You have lots of pizzas down here in TYB Weeks. Yeah. Have you got a favourite topping? I don't have a favourite pizza. No, no. Okay, fair enough. Just no pizza. What's your favourite passage from Scripture? Now, there are a few of those, but you did not choose me, but I have chosen you, okay? That was always very special to me. And then... I had to get my mindset around reading the Bible as it was written in the culture it was written. Right? Mm. I found out that in the culture of that day, people would decide what idol they wanted to follow. But Jesus said to his disciples, you did not choose me, I chose you. You know, fishermen, doctors, lawyers... You know, he chose those men to follow. And that that put that scripture into a different context for me. Fantastic. Have you got a favourite hymn? Yes. You know, I got a lot again. Mm-hmm. But I think this is my father's world. What's the best impersonation or impression of someone you can do? I can't. My son's it good at that one. <laughs> okay. And what's your favourite animal? Do you know what I'd like to do? No? I'd like to stroke a, a crocodile. Okay. I mean, they're probably one of the oldest things on the earth anyway. It's a quirky thing, though, isn't it? Absolutely. Stroke a crocodile. And um, we're recording this in one room at TYB, so we've got the bathroom behind us. And there's a surprise to you. We've got a crocodile in the bathroom. It's <laughs> 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 Yeah, if he's in a bath, he'd be big enough to stroke, I reckon. His teeth still can't get through these banana chips. No, thank you. Not another one. I've got to look after my teeth. Great. I just hope I haven't messed things up. Absolutely. It sounds as I did. No, absolutely not. The pleasure's been all out. Some wonderful stories. We'll be hearing you again later in the podcast where we've put you to the test in Band Mastermind. So in the last episode in the podcast, we looked at the first section of Robert Redhead's Corpus Christi. We're joined again by Major Martin Cordner, and we're going to be looking at the second half of the piece. And we're going to be delving straight in from bar 108, just after the phoniums and tubers have finished their lyrical section. Um, What happens here? Well, we're um, seven minutes into the piece now, Matthew, and we've so far ascertained that God is the giver of life. We've heard how he's breathed life into the body of Christ. We've heard how the believers are celebrating using their gifts and that the chorus, Bind Us Together, is on the tip of the tongues of the believers. That was referenced, I think, in the, in the bases and the tubers there. But perhaps they haven't needed to sing Bind Us Together yet because there hasn't been any disunity yet. 
And this is the subject of this next section, disunity. So which instruments do we turn to when we want to introduce some chaos into the mix? (laughs) Of course, it's a trombone section. Everybody knows that. So this next lively section features them. Um, It starts with the dry bones uh, reference on the horns, uh, concert B-flat. Temple blocks are back again. The trombones come in with some whole-tone scalic uh, shapes. And then we do the same again, upper semitone into B, then again into C, then again into D flat and then D, and then one final time into E flat. And these modulations, I think, through these bars are fantastic. And they're, build, they're a musical device, really, to heighten expectation and anticipation. So the piece is going to say something very soon. And uh, here on Fully Scored, we do like offending groups of instruments. We've offended <laughs> yeah. percussionists, and now let's, let's have a dig at the uh, we can trombonists. Try, we could try a few more before yeah, we the could. session's finished, Not I'm the sure. Cornets, <laughs> Not the cornets, no. Okay, okay. Um, and then we move on to bar 124 is the next mm. section of the piece. Yeah. Um, and again... The trombones are really a feature here. Could you talk us through what's going on here? Yeah, so this is their chance to shine. So they have the dry bones uh, theme, if you like. Um, And once again, we're listening to the family of God enjoy their gifts to the full. So um, Robert says in his uh, score notes, trombones need to be joyful and exuberant. Um, one three one, we go up again a semitone to E major concert as we did earlier in the piece, and um, the trombones uh, are featured here again. Um, and then we arrive at the same celebratory music we heard earlier, where the whole ensemble, the whole body of Christ, uh, was playing those four or five competing themes over the dry bones bass line, if you like. But this time it needs to be different, and we have this instruction about arrogance from the composer. So what is the arrogance supposed to represent? <laughs> How come there should be some arrogance here? Yeah, yeah, it's, it, this is really interesting because I think Robert is picking up on the fact that sometimes when believers use their gifts uh, and everything's going great, we can just get too comfortable with the way things are going. So this is the part of, um, of the music where everything's going to unravel. And it's like a good movie or a good book. It's the bit in the story where the protagonists have to face two-thirds of the way through some unassailable problem. Um, and uh, this is the, you know, the danger bit of, of, of Robert's story, I think. He's going to tell us in a minute that everything is going to unravel. He's going to tell us that, it, just as in the human body, when the various systems and components of the body aren't working together well, that's ill health. It's the same in the body of Christ. If we don't work well together, and if we don't remember who the head of the body is, then everything's going to unravel. And I think that's perhaps why this piece has stood the test of time and will stand the test of the time, because that message is so applicable today yeah, as it definitely. was back in 1994, as it was written, and I think always will be that's a message right. that is so relevant to our society. Yeah. Again, the next section, music, and this is where the real unravelling of the music begins. Can you talk us through what happens here musically to show that? Yeah, yeah, it's it's really exciting. Robert gives um, uh, an instruction of agitato and and hostile as well, so he's trying to really build a sense of um, anger, chaos, anarchy maybe. Uh, The bass have a pulse beat which pushes us 
um, along. To me, very reminiscent. I don't know if you, you guys or our listeners have seen Close Encounters of the Third Kind, but there's a beautiful moment in that film where the, after the scientists and the spacecraft have been communicating to each other with this five-note motive, everybody knows what that is, um, it gets a bit out of control and it gets very exciting. I think everything blows up and the windows will smash or something like that. And there's a bass pulse that pushes through that John Williams piece as well in the same way that we have here. So we have the dry bones theme on top of that, first of all appearing in the horns, um, and other patterns and other shapes from other groups within the band are added. And it's almost like all the families of instruments want their own say. Uh, and it gradually builds and it gradually loses control. At one, bar 159, we have basically what is mayhem, uh, according to Robert's words. At 165, we have panic. And Robert says here that this requires tremendous precision and power. The whole, the whole ensemble has the same musical pattern and uh, you don't want any spare notes coming in in the gaps. It's got to be absolutely precise. And then at 168, this idea of total collapse and the basses, youths, lower trombones and timps play a low pedal uh, note. We get a short reprise of the dry bones motif there at 172 in the horns. Bum, 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 bum is a, just a reference to that song. And then um, we move into an altogether calmer section. Yes, terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. a little bit exciting to play. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, and I suppose there are some similarities, perhaps, between where we move into this movement of calm. In one of our earlier episodes, we talked about this in Easter Glory. After mm. all the angst and the anger, mm. all the emotions are drained, and we move into that sense of calm. Perhaps there's a slight link there. Yeah, I think so. I think musically, you know, when, when you're writing a piece, you need contrast, don't you? You need the excitement, but you also need the prayerful and the medita- meditative moments. So I think musically, that would be why that's here. But in the narrative, um, I think we're asking the question here, if everything's unraveled, what does an unraveled body need? It needs binding together. So this is where, in the story of this piece, I think for the first time we hear the melody bind us together in its entirety. So we look at bar 179 and we see this lovely solo for um, the solo horn. It's in a nice range for the instrument, so it's lovely and warm. Underneath the melody, we've got a quartet of sustained chords. And then above the melody, um, these little cornet motifs, which to me are almost breaths, uh, remembering that we need the breath of God um, in the body of Christ for everything to work, if you like. And we have some shape here in the crescendo, so the music pulsates and comes forwards and also disperses again. Can you talk us uh, through what's happening here? Yeah, so as I say, things layer up, um, and as we get to uh, about bar 194, 195, we have the first um, pinnacle, if uh, if you like, in 
this section. And this is the moment in the song where we sing, there is only one God, and then things die away again around bar 200. And then it comes back even more strongly, there is only one body. I like the attention given to those two phrases, you know, that they sum up the whole idea of the peace, really, that there's God, who is infinitely perfect, and who from him all things flow. But then there's the church, who are his agents of transformation, and it's a partnership uh, between God and the church that makes the world transformed. So I just love the references to those two lines. And I think it would be good to just share the whole uh, verse here and the words of the song. Uh, bind us together, Lord. Bind us together with cords that cannot be broken. Bind us together, Lord. Bind us together. Oh, bind us together in love. There is only one God. There is only one King. There is only one body, for that is why we sing. Bind us together, Lord. Bind us together, Lord. Mm. So at section 215, we move into the tune that was first given in the very opening of the piece, Give Thanks mm. with a Grateful Heart, and it's given by the trombones. Once again, this section's featured here. Yeah. Um, and in the school notes, it's described as being in a Mozartian style. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can yeah. you talk us through what happens here? Well, uh, also the score instruction is noblemente. You know, I think it has to be played... Um, nobly and probably quite straight that would be my interpretation musically of what what's going on there i think in the narrative um what's happening is um the whole body is realized at this point its place within god's plan and its reliance on him as the life giver so wants to then give thanks it's realized the mistake it's made so the trombones you're right have this give thanks motif which was first heard or this theme on the horn at the beginning of the piece and then that builds um, and to me as well, it's another opportunity for another ensemble within the band to speak, you know, and have their say, uh, because everybody's contribution is valid. So here we have the trombones, and it leads into two, two, six, um, the first full uh, presentation of "Give Thanks with a Grateful Heart." And of course, the trombones have got that such lyrical and vocal sound that's really nice in contrast to the mayhem and panic we've had. Yeah, yeah. So the solo cornet then Mm. introduces the tune here, Give Thanks with a Grateful Heart. Yeah. Now, I've never understood, why do you think the solo starts on the F sharp, on the word thanks, and doesn't (laughs) start on give? Is there any reason for that, do you think? Or is it just musically that works? Interesting interesting observation. If we're being picky, perhaps we could pick the D in the bar before as the... Give thanks. We when we sing it, it's two F sharps, isn't mm. it? But um, yeah, I don't know. It's probably something to do with the modulation. Also, perhaps it's something to do with the fact that if, if you look at the score, things layer up, and the full bar there is two two five, and then everything eases off, and what's left hanging in the air almost is the, this this F sharp. Um, it's a lovely, positive, and optimistic key, actually, concert C, isn't it? And so I think here we have the idea of hope and. For me, in the recording that we're listening to for this, the, the 94 presentation, the original and best presentation, you've got David Dawes uh, playing here. He plays the, the whole of these eight bars in one breath, and, he do, and it sounds effortless, which is David's trademark, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's euphonium or cornet again, as it is now, that's what he can do. Um, and it's just such a lovely lyrical line. I think that's an important moment in the piece, but I think it's an important moment in, a, in the history of our... 
Salvation Army banding because that moment in that venue on that day to hear David play that for me is just very special and uh, I'll always go back to that presentation and, and David's performance here is one of those reasons. And I think that's one of the real special things about Salvation Army music making, um, whether it's mm. band, songsters or even just music making in general, you can hold on to those real personal experiences and they get to you in a way that sometimes yeah. words don't speak. That's really yeah, that's absolutely right. So after this section, we move on to bar 234, mm. um, and this is the second half of the chorus here. And before yeah. we do that, I think, again, it would be good to just share the words of the chorus. Um, give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because he's given Jesus Christ his son. And now let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich, because of what the Lord has done for us. Yeah, yeah. So, actually, it's the second half of, I would call that the verse, Matthew. We're going to get to the chorus later on, aren't we? You know, let the weak say I am strong. So we've had the first half of the verse from the solar cornet, and then again, Robert just ingeniously uh, adds layers on. And we go up a fourth, and we're into uh, F major, and the horns take over, and the intensity just builds a little bit more, because what we're heading for, don't forget this is a musical device, when you layer things on, you're, you're telling the listener that something's building. You build it literally with notes, you know, but the experience, the, what you hear is something's going to happen. And what we're heading for is the glorious presentation of the chorus, and now let the weak say, I am strong, which is a, a great and a beautiful acknowledgement that in the body of Christ all have a place, all are welcomed, all are valued. Um, so that's where we're heading musically, and that's why I think things are building up in these two sections. So bar 242, the chorus uh, comes this time, huge intensity and overwhelming yeah. joy. Yeah, yeah. Can you talk us through this section, please? Yeah, well, this is where, you know, as a composer, you're going to turn things up to 10. This is the max. Um, this is the climax of the piece. Um, or so we think, because it isn't actually going to be the zenith. It isn't going to be the, 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 the pinnacle uh, of the piece. So, so here... Um, there's this glorious restatement of all the aforementioned themes. Um, in the narrative, the body is united in aim and purpose. God is blessing his world through the people in the, of, in the body of Christ. He's using their God-given gifts for his glory and for the extension of the kingdom and all that kind of thing. But this turning it up to ten here, if we can borrow a line from This Is Spinal Tap, um, Robert actually turns it up to eleven uh, a few bars later at section fifty. Now, I was really fascinated by this, um, and I spoke to Robert about it a few years ago, and he said to me that 
once we get to 250, he feels this is perhaps the most moving music he's written. Mm. And he told me a story that um, is really touching. I'll I'll share it with the listeners, which is um, after this concert and the recording came out, there was an officer, uh, a friend of Robert's, who was going through a bit of a tough time. He was a leader in the Salvation Army, and he was leading other officers, and they were working through some tough challenges. And on the way home from a particular conference where things hadn't been very good, he was listening to uh, Corpus Christi in the car. And as we got to section uh, 242, which is where we're up to 10, if you like, on the dial, um, the tears just came. He was so overwhelmed with the Spirit of God and this idea that, yeah, you know what, even in trials and tribulations, we still need to give thanks. He had to pull his car over uh, to the side of the road, dry his tears, turn the music off, and compose himself, you know, it's a high-speed motorway or whatever. He then starts driving again and turns the music back on. And then we get to the bit where Robert turns it up to 11 at uh, bar 250, and uh, he was just overwhelmed again. So again, he had to pull over, (laughs) and he had to compose himself, and uh, he had to dry the tears and turn the music off and then get back on the road. He was probably thinking, is there going to be a third one? But thankfully, (laughs) there wasn't a third one. But this is very unusual. A composer wouldn't really reach the pinnacle, as Robert seemingly does at 242, and then think, well, there must be another one that I can give. And, And Robert was really conscious of this when he wrote it that he was he was worried that it was going to sound ridiculous but he really felt a leading from the Lord that he needed to say the same thing again only stronger so that's why we have this even bigger presentation at 250 and it is ultra compelling Mm. it really is and I think if you whether you play this or listen to it this is the moment that you're waiting for this is the uh, where everything comes good and you're, you're taken onto another plane, really, spiritually and musically. It's fantastic. Mm. And I don't think you could be human and not be moved by this section. It's so overwhelming. Yeah, it is. Emotion it is. And yeah. power. Yeah. And really, musically, it's, it's quite challenging. And technically, stamina-wise, there's a real, um, again, difficulty for bands to get through this, the physical exertion that you need to, to yeah. carry you through, but also yeah. emotionally to get through this music I think it is I think you're right yeah it takes some stamina it does uh, and technically there's a lot asked of the band Uh, the first eight bars you know have taken some considerable effort with the long sustained notes and all the players in the band employed you know nobody's got a no one's having a break and now these next eight bars they have to find another gear and even though it's only from forte to fortissimo to me that you've got to come up with another 20 30 percent you've got to say something more um, and it's only eight bars, but it's 72 beats a minute. It's maestro, so it really does take some playing, as you say.
five eight, we then move into a, a much faster tempo, and we have the temple blocks and the wood blocks again, reminiscing yeah, right. the dry bones. Yeah, um, yeah. And this is the code of music, really, where everything's tied together. Could you talk us through what happens here? Yeah, well, I think in any good piece of music, or whether it's a book or a movie, you try and tie together the loose ends, don't you? So Robert here is giving us again uh, the dry bones motif there, at 258 on the horns. Bum, 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 bum. And then uh, we have give thanks with a grateful heart a little bit later on uh, with the trombones there. Bum, 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 bum. That's give thanks with a grateful heart. Um, and so Robert is tight musically tying together the, the loose ends. But I think thematically, you know, in the narrative of the story, this is celebration. Wow, isn't it, we've given thanks to God. This is just fantastic. And now what we're going to do differently from now on, we're going to be the people that God wants us to be. So I think it's, a, it's still positive. Uh, musically, you need to head, to head towards something climactic. And so it's quick still. The, 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 the Allegro tempo is still there. And we're building and we're building and we're building and we're building towards three chords which are going to come at the end and again this section like the message and the theme of the piece all the different parts of the body of the piece are mm. tied together yeah. and it brings us together in a real unity that's right hurtling towards these huge final chords as yeah. you said yeah we've got three large chords again yeah, yeah. i believe we move up chromatically through those we do yeah that's right and uh, the third one is unexpected you you mm. it doesn't go <laughs> i think we've got e flat then f so you expect g but we don't. We get a kind of a kind of a cluster call, which is a bit of a surprise. Um, in two seven nine, trombones, uh, cornets um, are, are employed there. The, the cornets are playing whole tones again, which interestingly mm. is what the trombones did a little bit earlier in the piece. And then there's a general pause. Now, general pause you utilise as a as a musical device because it's about tension and release. So, the general pause gives you the tension. And then you know something's going to come, and then you get the final chord, which is the release, of course. And what a chord it is! Mm. Wow. Now let's look at what's going on. Um, it's high, it's loud, it's long. You know, you need three lungs, don't you, to be able to to be able to play this? And ev- this is every soprano player's dream, I think. This <laughs> high D or nightmare, or nightmare, <laughs> yeah. And they tighten the belt or tighten something, and uh, it, it, it happens hopefully. But it's fantastic. Interestingly, I think it's maybe a bar too long. I always feel that um, you would expect that to be four bars long, but mm. it's five bars long. I don't know whether Robert's trying to say something there, but either way, it's a spectacular ending to a, a, a really compelling piece. Absolutely. And what a timpani part as well. Again, I know we've <laughs> yeah. given percussionists some stick, but uh, you know, to be to able to play that part is... A <laughs> yeah, that's right. What a moment. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, it's all down to you, isn't it, on the timps? To make it come to life, really. The band's stationary, if you like. And so the feeling of energy comes from the percussion. Yeah, great moment for them. Absolutely. And once again, on that final chord, we're brought together in complete unity. Excellent. We are. Yeah, that's right. Brilliant. Thank you ever so much, Martin, for your time and the analysis of that piece of music. Pleasure. Um, Absolutely. As we talked about, one of the most iconic pieces written, Mm. and personally for me an all-time favourite, yeah, I'm yeah. sure for many of our listeners as well. Um, so it's really great to look into the music and the message mm. behind it. It brings out so much more to the piece of music Yeah, yeah. when there's yeah. an underlying story and we can associate the emotions that we feel with the story. Yeah. It's That's right. Well, I've enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Thank you.
Okay, that brings us on to our usual segment of Band Mastermind. I'm joined once again by Don Jenkins. Don, are you ready to play Band Mastermind? No. <laughs> Well, uh, tough bananas, yeah. like like this uh, chips that you tried earlier. Um, you've got 90 seconds, or one minute and a half, to answer as many questions as you can, uh, and that's exactly the same amount of time it takes the ISB to play Jubilee, minus a few repeats to make it exactly one minute 30. Okay, Don Jenkins, welcome to Band Mastermind. Your time starts yeah. now. What was the last published piece in the festival series? Don't know, pass. Okay. What test piece did Eric Ball write for the 1969 Brass Band Championships? Reserve. Incorrect, I'm afraid. And who won that year? Uh, West Manchester. Unfortunately, that's incorrect too. Dean Goffin's Light of the World is based on an allegorical painting by which artist? Holman Hunt. Correct. How many movements are there in Bach's Christmas Oratorio? Pass. Edward Gregson was principal of which UK conservatoire? Uh, which uh, which was published first, Song of Courage or None Other Name? None Other Name. Incorrect, I'm afraid. It was Song of Courage. Who composed a theme tune for BBC Young Musician of the Year? Uh, a is 440 hertz in modern music, but what pitch is A traditionally when performing Baroque music? Pass. Uh, in what year did French virtuoso trumpet player Maurice André pass away? 2018. Very close, but not quite. In what year did John Mott reform the Household Troops Band? Nineteen. Nineteen eighty. Four or six. Oh, so close! It was right down the middle. Eighty-five. Who revised and rescored the... Oh, we're out of time, but I'll finish the question. Right. Who revised and rescored William Turkington's Festival March, Abel? Bill Holmes. Correct. So, some very tricky questions there. I'll just go through the answers. The last piece published in the Festival series was Covenant Worship by Len Ballantyne. The test piece written for the 1969 National Brass Band Championships was High Peak, and Brickhouse and Rastrick won it that year. Um, there were 64 movements in Bach's Christmas Oratorio. Edward Gregson was principal of the Royal Northern School of Music. Song of Courage was published just before none other name in 1961. It was Edward Gregson that composed a theme tune for BBC Young Musician of the Year. Um, in Baroque music, A is traditionally 415 hertz, and it was 2012 that Maurice Andre passed away. We were very, very close with John Mott reforming the Household Troops, it was 1985. Bang in the middle of the ones that you said. So, Tom, you scored two, which is absolutely average. Which proves I'm not a musician, I'm a trombone player. <laughs> Put that on a tape. <laughs> Thank you ever so much for your time today. Real, real. And that's pleasure. a quote from Ken Downey, so it can't be wrong, can it? <laughs> well, that brings us to the end of another episode of Fully Scored. Once again, if you have any questions about anything we've discussed today or any queries any of us can answer in a later episode, please send us a tweet. Our Twitter handle is at FullyScored. Also, if you follow us, there's some excellent banter. 
Thank you again to Dom for joining us. Thank you also to our producer, Simon Gash, for his work editing all these podcasts together, cutting out the bits we're completely rubbish and organising guests come and join us and generally just keeping us all in check. Thank you to my team of band nerds who have helped with the band mastermind trivia. And thank you for tuning in. Goodbye and God bless. Just before we finish this episode, we've got one final little nugget for you. Whilst we've been recording these interviews down in Bournemouth at the Territorial Youth Band, we thought it would be a really nice idea for some of the staff and students at This Week to share what This Week means to them. Enjoy. I'm Oliver, I'm from Birmingham Citadel. Um, Altogether, TYB, I'd say, I think it's my ninth or tenth year including staff um, what does TYB mean to me well it's the best week of my year um, I've got lifelong friends that have been here um, and it's great to see the kids grow from the start of the week to the end of the week uh, not only in music but in their faith as well Hi I'm Catherine Wallace from Coventry City Core. Uh, I attended the first ever TYB back in 1998 and was a student in 99 as well and uh, I've just completed my 15th uh, course as a member of staff. Uh, for me, TYB has been uh, a massive influence on me. One of the uh, threefold prongs of TYB is leadership development and uh, the investment that the staff have made in me over the years, whether it's as a student or as a staff member, uh, I really appreciate. Uh, so I'm uh, Callum, I'm from Birmingham Citadel. Uh, this is my 17th consecutive TYB course um, and it is just the best week of the year, really, really is. Um, and it's amazing to, to hear the band on a, on a Monday and, then, and, and hear how far they come by the Friday night um, and also the, the very unique fellowship that is TYB um, is fantastic and also to see the development of uh, players from when they were 12 to when they were 18 uh, is something that's very special as well as uh, hearing and seeing all the stories about uh, their journey with, with God as well it's, it's just uh, quite something very special So my name is Tom um, I'm from Croydon Citadel and I'm just completing my 7th TYB course um, where do I really start? TYB um, it means a lot. Um, it's a very special week for a number of reasons. Um, the music we play, the people you meet, and the, um, the staff and students you get to interact with. Um, and the fact we're in a hotel in Bournemouth, it's, um, it's a very special week, and I always enjoy the, the concert at the Lighthouse, and it's my favourite day of the year. So, My name's Harry, I'm from Norwich. This is my sixth DYB, and... TYB means sort of the opportunity to get together and play music, and sort of it's not just about the music; it's about the the fellowship as well as the getting closer to God through the music, as well as sort of the worship and the, the fellowship that we do together. My name is Daniel Robson. Um, I'm from Sunderland Millfield Court in the northeast of England, and I've been coming to TYB now for 20 years. I've missed three. Um, I missed. Um, when I was too old to come as a student 
and then missed three when I went to university and then got asked to come back as staff. I was at the very first music school, TYB, um, and I knew nothing about it. My mum knew everything about it, saw an advert in The Salvationist and just said, we're going on holiday for Bournemouth. You need to learn a audition piece for my holiday in Bournemouth. Didn't really know what was coming to. Anyway, long story, and I'm still here. TYB to me means the world. TYB means absolutely the world. Um, best mates met here. You probably know you know that. Um, met some very, very, very good friends. Um, you included Matthew. Oh, thank very, you. Very yes, <laughs> um, very close friends. Um, but what it what it means deeper down is not just the banding thing. Actually, from right at the start, it meant that I actually found some friends who actually. We're the same as me. Um, banding context, yes. Army context, yes. But the Jesus, a religious context also, and that was nice and refreshing coming from a core Middlesbrough Citadel at the time um, where maybe didn't really know what was going on in the territory, didn't really know what was going on in the army world. I just had my little bubble in Teesside. So TYB, as I said at the start, is literally my life now.